Father, what truth. We're still now before a holy God. Lord, we need you. We're still in your presence. Your presence here with us. Holy God, there is none like you. The one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. We cannot compare to you. No one and nothing can. The one who is perfect in every way. We quiet ourselves before you now. I pray we would humble ourselves before you now. That is the God who gave his son, Jesus Christ, to dwell with man, that we, Lord, could have a relationship with you and to be in your presence. Father, I pray right now we'd humble ourselves under the authority of your word. You have something to say to your church. You have something to say to every person you have brought here today. And I pray we would not be like those people who hear it and look like look in a mirror and then forget what they look like. Just walk out of here, going through another service. But God, to be challenged, to be changed, to be refreshed, to be convicted by the awesome glory of your word as it goes forth, may it not come back void today. May we be changed to be more like you. May we be a church. May we be families. May we be students. May we be individuals that love you more today than when we first came in here and desire to want you more today. Not just know that we need you, but to want you more. And holy, holy, holy are you. Guard my mouth from error today. God, say what you want to say. In Jesus' name, if you agree, church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're continuing our series through the book of 1 John, verse by verse, word by word, and the series title is called Walking in the Light. And last week we looked at where everything starts. What a great kickoff to this sermon series. We look at where everything starts, the belief in the person of Jesus Christ, who he says he is from his word. Not who we think we want him to be, not who we think he says he is, but who does God say he is? Through the incarnation, God becoming a man, the word of God himself, Jesus Christ becoming flesh. That is, make no mistake, loved ones, the first test of a genuine believer. Do you believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is? And today we will look at the next test that John puts forward. The next test of what a genuine believer is. The life of a believer and how they live out the truth of Jesus Christ. If Jesus really is who he says he is, then it changes everything in our lives. And genuine believers, although not perfect, but genuine believers will be pursuing him in that. That's called walking in the light. It's called walking in the light. And you say, why is this important? 
Why is it so important? Why, is it, why does John devote an entire section to the genuineness, testing the genuineness of a believer by them walking light? Because there's an increasing problem in our world today, loved ones. Increasing, and hear this, this is a sobering word that impacts every single person in this room and outside of it, and it is this. In the church today, we have way more people who like to talk the talk about following Jesus than actually walk the walk. That's the reality. Maybe some of us in this room right now. We like to talk the talk about, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, but we don't like to count the cost of what it means to walk the walk. That's increasing in living out our Christian faith. And as this world gets darker, more and more people, you notice this? More and more people who claim to follow Jesus Christ are being deceived in thinking that they are true Christ followers even though they are choosing to walk or blend in with the darkness of the world around them rather than walking in the light of who Jesus Christ calls his followers to be. You say, who, how is this? Sin that is not confessed. That's a huge test of a genuine believer are we walking in habitual ongoing sin sin that's not confessed and repented of God's standards in our lives of holiness watered down when we sing a song like we just sang that glorious truth like that should just leave us to sit in silence the rest of the day as to what that actually means that God calls us to be holy as he is holy God's standards watered down, compromising in our faith in the name of relevance. The truth is this. You'll see it on the screen. This is crucial. If we are truly in Christ, it sets the tone for everything today. If we are truly in Christ, then we will be imitators of Christ. Bottom line. Say it in a sentence. If we are truly in Christ then we will be imitators of Christ. Ephesians 5.1. And today's title of this message is Walking in the Light. 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. If you do not have a Bible with you, our ushers are coming forward right now. We take God's word very seriously in this church. So please put up your hand because we want to put a copy of God's word in front of you so you can follow along. The ushers can come forward right now. Just shoot your hand up. Get a Bible in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, nice and high so they can see you, if you do not have a Bible at home, then please keep that as our gift to you so you can continue to study on your own. And see, if we are truly in Christ, then we will be imitators of Christ. Here in this text, John continues on his letter in confronting, remember, he's confronting the false teaching that was growing in the church of what the life and beliefs of a true follower of Christ were. And he gives us three crucial truths that we, here, here, get this, he gives us three crucial truths in these next six verses that we must embrace. That we must embrace. They're crucial for a reason. We must embrace them if we are to live our lives as true followers of Christ and not walk in deception. Okay? Let's tune in. First John 1, verses 5 to 10, to honor God's word this morning, let's stand in the reading of it. First John 1, verses 5 to 10. Walking in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. 
and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to live as true followers of Jesus Christ, you must... Number one, recognize the nature of God. This is where everything starts. You must recognize the nature of God, perfection. Perfection. Look at the first part of verse 5. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. See, the message, if you remember from last week in the first four verses, is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which John described in verse one as the word of life. The gospel of how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came from heaven, became a man in flesh, fully God, fully man, the incarnation, so that he could save us from our sin. And notice where John says, this is the message we have heard from him. When he says heard from him, John is emphasizing again himself as an eyewitness testimony to Jesus Christ. He was one of the most intimate disciples with him. Remember? Peter, James, John. Most intimate disciples with Jesus Christ. And that the message he was proclaiming, why is this so important? Because it gives authority, it gives weight to what John's saying here. Because the message that John is saying, he's proclaiming, he's preaching, was not made up by man, but it was given to him by God himself. Because you can't unpack what we're about to unpack in these six verses and say it's under anyone else's authority but God's. Otherwise, you're not going to follow it. I guarantee it. It's not warm, fuzzy stuff until you get to the latter half. It comes from the authority of God. Now, what is this? What is the message? This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. Look at the back half of verse 5. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now the light there, the Greek term for light means this. The source of all biblical and divine truth. Okay? The word light. Walking in the light is walking in biblical truth. Okay? It's the source. God is light. He's the source of all divine truth. So insert that back into the sentence that God is the source of all biblical truth and in him is no darkness at all. Now what the light symbolizes, anytime you see it all throughout scripture, in the Old Testament, all the way through the canon to the New Testament is this. It symbolizes holiness. You're going to want to write these down. Holiness, purity, moral excellence. Get this. Holiness, purity, moral excellence, and all that is right all the time. That's a pretty high standard. All that is right all the time. He lacks nothing. Try to get our head around that this morning. I've been sitting in this text for a week now, and I still can't. It's awesome. All moral excellence. So in in contrast to that, 
When John says, God is the light and in him is no darkness. Okay, so if God's the light, biblical truth, holiness, purity, moral excellence, what's the darkness, right? Just common sense. Darkness, the Greek means lies, deception, or something within us that blocks the light of God. That's the darkness. Lies, deception, falsehood, things inside of us are sin. It's the symbol of sin, wrongdoing. Now, we look at, let's just do a basic bottom line definition of sin, and we'll revisit it later on. Sin is just this, bottom line, anything we do that breaks God's law or his commands. Anything we do that breaks God's law or his commands. That's basis definition of what sin is. Okay, so that's the darkness. Why? Because the darkness blocks the light of God in our life. It quenches the Holy Spirit in our life when it goes unchecked. So John contrasts here between light and darkness, notice this, as strongly as possible. Look how he said that in verse 5. That God, okay, when you read scripture, here you go, here you go. Devotional time 101. When you read scriptural, scripture, read every word. Scriptional is a cool word. But when you read scripture, read every word. It's in there for a reason. Don't skip. Watch. Look at verse 5b. That God is light and in him is no darkness. John makes the point and then he goes, at all. What's he doing there? What's he doing? At all. He's emphasizing something. He emphasizes it as strongly as possible here with a clear statement about the nature or character of God that was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Namely, here's what he's saying. Jesus Christ was completely perfect, is completely perfect. God Almighty himself is completely perfect and has no sin whatsoever. The Greek word for not at all means there is not one part that is sinful of him. Translation in today's terms, total perfection. At all. There's a lot in those two words. Wayne Grudem, a systematic theologian, he says this in describing God's perfection. God completely possesses all excellent qualities and lacks no part of any qualities that would be desirable for him. Wayne Grudem. God completely possesses, completely, not he's a portion holy, he's a little bit excellent morally, he completely possesses all excellent qualities because he is all of those excellent qualities. That is who God is. That's why we can sing to him, holy, holy, holy. Think about what we're singing, church. That is why he lacks no part of any qualities that would be desirable for him. This is God's nature, and by default, this is God's standard. This is God's standard. He cannot lower this without compromising his own perfection. He cannot lower his standard of holiness without compromising on it. And therefore, think about the implications for us, loved ones. Think about the implications for us here. Therefore, this is his standard for the lives of his people. When he says, be holy because I'm holy, this is what he's calling his people to. This is the standard for anyone who genuinely calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ because this is the very nature of what it means to walk in the light. This is it right here. If we are to live lives as true followers of Jesus Christ, then this is how we must strive to live before God. And you say, uh, is anyone feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now? 
Just anyone? Anyone? Maybe just me? Yeah, love the hand, Hannah. Bless you. Okay? And you say, wait a second, that's a pretty high standard. How do you know that? I mean, you're just trying to get, get, on us, get us on to some legalistic check the box there. I've done everything to earn, to live a holy life. No, no, no. Let's go back to what the Bible has to say. Don't take my word for it. Take his. How do you know that? Let's go back to what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 8. You'll see it on the screen. He kind of lays it down here pretty simply. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. <laughs> you imagine can you imagine the disciples in that moment? Thinking, yeah, I'm good, I'm good with God. No, you got to be perfect, because your Heavenly Father is perfect. Like, jaw hits the floor, eyes get real wide. Huh? Think about the implications of this statement. You and I, if we are to truly claim to be genuine followers of Jesus Christ, are called to live lives Striving in his power for perfection. Imitating the nature of God. This, loved ones, look at that, look at that. This is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. And look at it, this. This is the standard of God. This is the standard he sets because this is who he is. He can't compromise on himself by lowering it. Pretty clear. Now think about this. Think about this as best we can get our heads around it. Everything that's excellent, everything that's right, every single thing that's pure, every single thing that is holy, complete sinlessness, this is the nature of God. Awesome. Awesome. And I make no shame of saying that because it's true. You see, God cannot even have one form of sin in his presence. He's a consuming fire. Not one sin or bit of darkness has he ever embodied or had in his presence for eternity. And this is what he calls his followers to do. This is a standard we're called to live by. You say, well, let's look at this a little different way here. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 16. Like, We have to go to scripture to get our heads around this. Here he is in describing the presence of the Lord. Ready? Who alone has immortality? Who dwells, get this, who dwells in unapproachable light? Whom no one has ever seen or can see. Why can we not see him? Because we have not been glorified before him yet. To him be honor and dominion. And eternal dominion. Amen. And you say, well, wait a second. Why is God unapproachable? Why does he dwell in unapproachable light? Because of this. In God's perfected holiness. Perfect holiness. He will consume Anything that is not perfect in this way. Don't believe me? Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Let us offer to God acceptable worship in reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
loved ones, don't ever come flippantly into the presence of God. He is a consuming fire. Now that, when you think about God's nature, that's good theology. That's awesome. This is the standard of perfection God has and we must have as his followers. And and what that means is quite simply this. Let's bring it down here. If you have ever committed one sin in your life, you deserve the penalty for that sin, death. God cannot have it or you in his presence or me. One sin, you've broken the whole law. Holy, holy, holy. And the reality is this. Reality is this. This is an impossible standard to meet. Would you agree with me? It's okay. Yeah, yeah, this is church. Don't lie. It's an impossible standard to meet. It's impossible. But he who is perfect can't set an imperfect standard of righteousness for his people. He can't set an imperfect standard. It is absolutely crucial that we recognize this, the nature of God, perfection itself, as our starting point. If we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because here's why. It is only when we recognize the standard of God. Ready? Ready? It's only when we recognize the standard of God that we begin to live in the reality of the sacrifice of God. It's only when we recognize the standard of God that we can begin to live in the reality of the sacrifice of God that he's given us through his son, Jesus Christ, that made a way for us to be with him. If you don't recognize the standard that God has, the nature, the character of God, why would you ever think that you need a savior? Just saying. You don't think that. You don't. And this is why Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died for you and me on the cross and was raised again three days later, defeating sin and death for all time. And why in him we've become the righteousness of God because it's through his blood covering us and forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us of our sins that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Amen? That's awesome. It's awesome, and it's so undeserved. This perfect, holy God. When, when we think of holiness, I don't know about you, some of the pictures of holiness, you think of like guys dressed in robes and like, you know, quiet and shuffling along doing their thing. This is the picture of holiness right here. God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And so often today, do you see this, loved ones? So often today, both Christians and non-Christians, we live in this deception that somehow we can meet this standard ourselves. You notice this? By our own efforts, if I just strive harder, if I just get the check for my devotions today, if I just get the check for going to church, if I just do enough right things and somehow I'm going to achieve this standard of holiness, it's not possible Or even worse, some people don't believe that they even have to meet it. And that they'll somehow earn their way to God. This is what society and every, notice this, every single other religion teaches. Work harder, do more, get better, and somehow you'll be able to get to God. Not happening. That's a lie. 
That's a lie based on God, who he says he is. Newsflash. There's only one who could. There's only one who could get us to God. Jesus Christ. This is the very message of the gospel. If you want to sum up the gospel to someone, you're on campus. Hey, students, I was on campus writing a message this week. I'm seeing all these students all over the place starting out gospel conversations. And they're like, oh, you're crazy. Oh, hey, sweet. You want to sum up the gospel? This, Jesus Christ in my place. And they're like, you're not so crazy anymore. What do you mean? Let's talk. Jesus Christ in my place place. Why God in his love for us, this is why in his love for us, he sent him to die for us in our place. And look at this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, love this text so much. We prayed it out at our prayer meeting this past week, which is incredible. God says, for by grace, that is God giving us what we don't deserve, because you can't earn it, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Sum it up. You cannot earn your way to God. It's impossible to come to God on our terms. Impossible. John 15, 5. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And this is why, you notice this in society, loved ones? This is why the enemy is working so hard to attack the nature or character of God and water down his standard and his perfection so that we would be deceived into feeling better about our standing before him apart from Christ. This is why society, this is why the devil is putting the shroud and darkening this world to that reality of the, the light of God and what that means, the holiness of God, and therefore, we begin to excuse the sin in our lives. We therefore cease to pursue the only one that he's given to us by which we can come to him by. Why do I need Jesus Christ? I've got good deeds. Why do I need Jesus Christ? I'm a good person. What do you mean you're a good person? Well, I'm way better than that guy. He needs Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? The world tells me I don't need Jesus. Here's why we need Jesus. John 8, 12. You'll see it on the screen. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He's the light, the source of divine truth. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Darkness is crushed in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you notice something about light and darkness? I used to be a science teacher. I always used to love getting my kids with this one. Right? When you have a dark room, picture this room, totally dark, and then Marco shines one of those spotlights, what happens to the darkness around that light? It has to move. Light and darkness cannot occupy the same space. Darkness is crushed by the light of the world. Jesus Christ, the one who overcame it. So let me ask you a question. Are you living your life with a right recognition of God's perfect nature. Am I? Are you and I living our lives with a recognition, a right recognition of God's perfect nature? This changes everything about how we live. 
Is God's standard, let's just evaluate, let's drill down on this a bit more. Is God's standard of perfection, holiness, truth, purity, and excellence, ready? Your standard for what you're watching on television. Is God's, hey, Gloria, can you put Matthew 5, 48 back up, please? Be perfect as I am perfect, thank you. Is this your standard? Or in the words that you use to your spouse, your kids, your friends, or how you speak about others behind their back. Is this your standard? It changes everything. Is this your standard for your work ethic? Working with excellence, not perfectionism in a human level, but working with excellence and holiness and integrity to the Lord your God. After I see that, and even just going through some of those questions in my own life this week, church, I'm pretty convinced we need a Savior, don't you? I need one. And God gave me one. And we can make excuses for our sin and dark behavior. Here's the the reality. We can make excuses for sin, loved ones, and dark behavior all we want. And our culture will give us a green light for engaging in it. But the fact is this. God's nature, his standard, has never and will never change. And I guarantee you this, that one day you and I will be out of excuses when we stand face to face before him. All excuses gone at that moment. When we stand before him, and it's coming soon. The recognition of God's perfect nature is the starting place if you are to live as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because you realize who God is and who you are without him. See that? God is light. Without him, we are darkness. Born with it. We'll get to that in a moment. And once you recognize this, you then realize that in order to live for him, you must walk in the power of God. You recognize the nature of God, perfection. And now we realize we must walk in the power of God, holiness. Holiness. Look at verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See, what John's doing now is he's addressing the claims of those false teachers, those Gnostics that we talked about last week, and gives the first of three conditions to see whether a person who claims to be a child of God is in fact a true follower of God through Jesus Christ. Here's condition number one he gives us in this verse. Talking but not walking. Talking but not walking. Condition number one. All proclamation, but no practice. Okay? You see there in verse six, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him. The word fellowship there, if you remember from last week, the Greek is koinonia, which means if we say we have a personal, intimate relationship with God. Say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. But... With him while we walk in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? We have to understand this very clearly, and we're going to do the best we can to drill down on it. Walking in darkness is the conduct of a person's life, living in, get this, unrepentant, habitual sin, downplaying the seriousness of sin in their lives. 
Someone who's living in unrepentant, habitual sin, downplaying its seriousness in their lives, even though they say they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The truth is not being put into practice and lived out in their lives. Therefore, what does John say? What does God say? They're lying and deceiving both themselves and others. Practice does not match proclamation. Unrepentant habitual. Now, I've got to qualify this, just so we're all on the same page. We want clarity, right? Even true followers of Jesus Christ sin. Just talk to my wife. I sin. Okay? Even true followers of Jesus Christ will sin. We will never be sinless on this side of eternity. That's impossible. This, but here's the reality. This doesn't mean you're not saved. And everyone can take a big sigh. It doesn't mean you're not saved. What John is speaking of, again, let me be very clear, is ongoing, habitual, unrepentant sin in your life over time. Even when you are confronted with it from the word of God, even today in this moment, or by a fellow believer to say, look, you're walking away in darkness right here. If you refuse and continue to refuse and do not repent of that and do not come back to the Lord from that and confess that, John says, that's a sign they're not saved. But, gives the opposite now, look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay? He's speaking of this, ready? Holiness. Walking in the light is to walk in holiness. What's it, what is holiness? Make sure we're on the same page. You'll see it on the screen. To be set apart from sin, basic definition. To be set apart from sin and be made in the image of Jesus Christ. Basic definition, rock bottom definition of holiness. Set apart from sin, being made into the image of Christ. Walking in the light. So if walking in darkness is continual, unrepentant, habitual sin, what's walking in the light? Continuous or a consistent pattern of a life that is lived on the truth of God's word and that is growing in habitual, not sin, but in habitual holiness or sharing the character of God through the power of Christ in them, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. It's the, the testimony of one who's walking in the life is, I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I will be. Okay? I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I will be. This is the power of Christ in us. And notice there at the end of verse 7 when he says, and the blood of Jesus, as we do this, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. What's that term cleansing mean? The Greek there means this. This is the gospel. This should put us in awe right now. The Greek word for cleanse means to make pure or remove filth. Awesome. Make pure or remove filth. All of our sins are forgiven. Now, now get this. All of our sins, when we come to Jesus Christ, confess of our sin, repent of it, and surrender to him as our Lord and Savior, they're all forgiven at that point. Past, present, future. At that moment, we come to Jesus Christ in salvation. Totally forgiven. But as we walk in the truth of God consistently in the power of Christ, again, not on our own effort, he is constantly purifying, cleansing, refining us, and making us holy. This is the doctrine of sanctification. Big word, being made holy. He's continually making us holy, cleansing us of all sins before him through the saving blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross. That's 
comes on. And if that wasn't enough, look what else John says in this verse. Like, so, hey, you're being cleansed from your sin. You're being purified. You're being made into the image of God himself. Not becoming God himself, but being made into his image. And look what he says next. In the first, or the middle part of verse 7. If we walk in the light, is he in the light? Look at this. We have fellowship with one another. John also states that those who walk in increasing holiness through the power of Christ not only have an intimate relationship with Christ that's deepening, but as an overflow of that, also walk in fellowship with others who are doing the same. That's awesome! He's like, I mean, making you into my image, and I'm making you a family together with your brothers and sisters, uniting you with one another. You grow in holiness with Christ. You grow in fellowship with each other. Why? Because sin, the whole purpose of sin is to destroy. The whole purpose of sin is to divide, to get in the way, to discourage, to distract, to destroy, to destruct what God is seeking to build. And that includes fellowship between believers. Sin creeps into the church unchecked. And if we're not walking in holiness before the Lord, asking him to cleanse us, confessing of our sin, walking in the power of Christ, it just has its way. Sin seeks to isolate. You ever notice that? When you sin, you do, why do you think people duck accountability? They're like, oh, I don't want people finding out what I'm doing. Right? That's what sin does. It pulls back and then use excuses like, oh, you're evaluating me. Or you're judging me. That's what sin's doing. That's the voice of sin in your life. God's like, when you strive together in holiness, my voice says, I'm growing in fellowship with one another. I'm unifying my church by the blood of my son and the power of my spirit. That's awesome. It's awesome. Don't entertain sin. It destroys. And here's the thing about sin. It always takes us to the most destructive place. Look at our society. Ten years ago, my wife Natalie and I were talking about this this week. I said, our boys are going into school, are living in a world today that is way farther down the road than what we were doing ten years ago. They're having to handle issues we didn't even think about. Is it really working walking in the darkness? But that's the way sin works. It takes us to the most destructive place. And we think that we can give it a little treat. We think that we can, we can entertain it for a while and just hold on to it and isolate ourselves and not expect anything bad to happen. Doesn't work like that. It's designed to not work like that. The enemy will see to that. John also states that we have fellowship with one another. Okay, don't take my word for it. There is a quote by D.A. Carson that you'll see on the screen right now. This doesn't, the pursuit of holiness, before I read this, you have to understand, doesn't come naturally for us, amen? Our natural resolve, our natural flesh is to walk away from it. It doesn't come easy. Our natural instinct is to go with the world. But look at this. Here's how Carson describes it. People don't drift towards holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort given by Jesus Christ in his power, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord and one another. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. You know, I was reminded, my kids watched this movie, we were reciting a bit of this movie the other day, at dinner, and I was reminded of this song on it. Let it go, let it go. I'm like, red light! Cling to him! I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing when I want to do it and how I want to. That's a lie! 
dressed up in a snazzy beat. It's still in my head. Ah! Right? We don't drift towards it. Here's what we drift towards. Compromise. This is where that line of thinking takes us. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. Drift towards disobedience, call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it, here it is, relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slouch and we slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Does that not describe our society today? There's no middle ground here. You notice John doesn't give a middle ground. He says you're either walking in the darkness or you're walking in light. If we're not pursuing holiness, we are pursuing darkness. Done. There's no middle ground. It's one direction or the other. And here's the, here's the devastating thing about walking in darkness. The longer that sin goes unchecked or repented of in your life, the longer it remains habitual, the more devastating it becomes in your life and in the lives of those around you. Because here's the reality about sin. It always has collateral damage. It doesn't work just in your life. It is designed to destroy as much as possible in as many people as possible in you and through you and me. It always has collateral damage. Why? Because it always takes us to the most destructive place. So let me ask you a question. Where are you walking in darkness or sin? Where are you walking in unrepented? You know. Even through this message, Holy Spirit's bringing something up. What are you going to do with it right now? Right now, you have a choice right here. The blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross for you is enough to cover it. What will you do with that? You have two choices right now. Keep walking in the darkness, choice A. Choice B, walk in the light. Get it out in the light. And we get shifty and our flesh rails right now against this. What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? What do you need? know you need to repent of to restore fellowship with God? Or here's another thing. How about someone with fellowship in this church? Are you walking in unity and reconciliation with your brothers and sisters in this church? Are you talking about them behind their backs? Where do you need to stop? Pride. Here are some things that came to mind. I hope this thing you're like, what are you talking about? Maybe we're walking in pride through this. Ready? Habitual fear. Do you know fear is a form of pride? Do you know that? If it's not a fear of the Lord. Habitual fear. Not pursuing unity in the church with someone you need to. Here's one. Habitual worry. Do you know that? This. Habitually feeling sorry for yourself. But I, and someone exhorts you with biblical truth, and you're like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, when the response of someone who's walking in the life is, but God, but God, but God. See, we do, we do this all the time. We don't even think about it, right? How often do we just fall into fear, slide into anxiety, start to worry again? Maybe pursuing someone or something is your first love that's not the Lord. Maybe it's your addiction to alcohol, porn, video games, whatever it is for you. What is it that the Lord is bringing up? And you say, well, wait a sec, I want to walk in the light. How do I do that? Five ways, ready? Five ways we walk in the power of Christ. This is awesome. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ gives us this. Each one of these is going to be building on the one before it. 
Okay, you'll see what I mean. Number one, five ways to walk in the power of Christ. One, through his son. Through his son. Salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Everything starts here. Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Did anyone catch that? Did I say that too fast? Other than the name of Jesus Christ, there is no other name. No other religion. You can't walk in the power of Christ without a relationship with Christ. It's impossible. You can't do it. Number two, five ways to walk in the power of God. Through his son. Now it builds on that. When we are in Christ, here it is, by his word. By his word. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at this. I love this. I appeal to you, Paul says, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, the darkness. Don't be conformed to that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and God's character, perfect. There it is. Love it. By his word. If we are to walk in God's word, in the truth of it, the light, we have to know what it says. You have to be in it. John MacArthur says, there's a lot of books that can change your thinking, but only one that can change your nature. Boom. That's it. Right here. Five ways to walk in the power of God. Number one, through his son. Number two, by his word. Number three, here's a big one, in humility. Building on it. Through his son, we get into his word now. He allows us to understand it in his grace. That should bring us to humility. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. Greek means he actively works against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And this is what it's saying. God before me, you before me. Whatever you want, Lord, you before me. See, pride distorts our reality and blinds us to the truth. When we walk in pride, we're saying, I'm God. I'm God. I know what is good. And therefore, calling God a liar. Five ways to walk in the power of God. Number one, through his son. Number two, by his word. Number three, in humility. And humility always leads us to this. Ready? Number four, through repentance. Repentance. Turn away, turn away quickly from sin that the Lord reveals. My friend Christian Barbosa, who is the head of Harvest Bible Chapel, Romania... Arat, Romania, he said this to me at Harvest University, Raymond. I said, yes. He goes, revelation always leads to responsibility. Boom. Revelation always leads to responsibility. When God illuminates something in his word, when he brings something out through a friend that loves you and says, you're walking in sin here, turn back. You have a choice right there. Continue to walk in the darkness. That's door A. Or you can go into door B. Bring it into the light and say, yes, I'm humbling myself in repentance underneath that and experience the grace and freedom and joy that comes from the Savior's shed blood for you. Awesome. Five ways we walk in the power of God. Through his son, by his word, in humility, in repentance. Here's the fifth one, ready? In his church, in his church, doing life together with other believers. This church is a gift. Church isn't just something you do with leftover time on Sunday morning. It is a gift. It is the very tool given to us by God to grow in holiness with one another. Sharpening, Proverbs 27, 17. Sharpening one another, stirring one another up, Hebrews 10 says, to, one, to love and good deeds. Don't forsake meeting together. Remember, sin always wants to isolate us. Church is meant to bring us together. 
Church is God's tool of sanctification in our lives. Persons who, one commentator said, persons who cut themselves off from other Christians cannot have true fellowship with God. You cannot have true fellowship with God if you cut yourself off from other Christians' loved ones. Look around. Just look around. Take a moment. Look at this. I love these moments. I love these moments right now. Just look around this church. Look. Look around us. Did you choose anyone to be here? God brought them. God brought each of you. God chose us as instruments of holiness in each other's lives. But here's the question you have to ask yourself today that makes the difference. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? To live as a true follower of Christ, you must recognize the nature of God, perfection. You must walk in the power of God, Holiness, And as you do this, by grace, you see that our last point today is this. You recognize your ongoing need for God. Confession. You must recognize your ongoing need for God. Confession. Look at verses 8 to 10. We'll do two verses, 8 and 10 right now. If we, see, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth of God is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, there's two major reasons this is crucial, loved ones, that we finish with today. Recognizing our ongoing need for God through confession. Number one, to guard against deception. To guard against deception. Look at verse 8 and 10. We just said, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. If we say... We have not sinned. We make him a liar. His word's not in us. John goes on and gives us the second and third conditions that distinguish true followers of Christ from those that aren't. Those that aren't, devastating. Devastating. Those that aren't say they have no sin and have never sinned. They're they're actually getting to the point. See where sin takes you? Say, I have fellowship with God. But see what happens when it goes unchecked? Now they're calling God a liar. See where it takes you? The deception takes you to that place. And, and scripture repeatedly says, let anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We are never beyond this deception if we cut ourselves off from Jesus Christ and his church. I guarantee it's happening. Whether you realize it or not, Sin, anything we do that breaks God's law. The false teachers here were saying they had no sin. They had no guilt or fault before God in their lives. And therefore, they're rejecting the fact they had a sinful nature. And they needed a savior. Listen, Romans chapter 5, 12 to 21, talks about the doctrine of what's called total depravity. And how we've been born with a sinful nature from birth. Given to us by Adam when they sinned in the garden. It's been passed down. We can't do anything about that. We are born with it. But what that means is there is absolutely nothing spiritually good in us apart from Christ. Ouch. And the second part of what that means is there's nothing that we can do, no spiritual good we can do to get to God because of our sinful nature. So if all of a sudden you start to take out that you don't think you're sinning, you don't think that you have a sinful nature, how can you recognize you're sinful and therefore recognize that you still need a Savior? You see, the, you see the deception that's going on here? Look at our world today. Look at, look at our world today. Not only are they deceiving themselves, but as a result, they're calling God Almighty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who knows the end from the beginning and his complete perfection, calling him a liar. Why are they calling him a liar? Romans 3.23, you see it on the screen right there. Bam. This is what God said. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you say you don't sin. 
You say you're walking that deception. What's sin? What's sin? No, no. Railing against it. That just takes you to a very dangerous place. And honestly, loved ones, it hit me, and we're going to go to a quote by Charles Spurgeon here in a moment that shows this. This has to be the pinnacle of deception. Right here. Calling God a liar. This has to be the pinnacle of deception and is the one that we see increasing all around us in the world today, both inside and outside of the church. We are good. Here it is. Here's the deception. We are good people without sin. We are right and God is wrong. This is what we say every time we sin. We're right. God's wrong. God says, don't do this. I do this. I'm right. You're wrong, God. And then we suffer the consequences. Look at what Spurgeon says. The idea of having no sin is a delusion. You are altogether deceived if you say so. The truth is not in you. And you have not seen things in the true light. You must have shut your eyes to the high requirements of God's law. There's his character, his nature, his standard. Shut your eyes to that. You must be a stranger to your own heart. You must be blind to your own conduct every day. And you must have forgotten to search your thoughts and to weigh your motives or you would have detected the presence of sin. He who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who can't perceive sin in his members. As the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. This is what we say every time we sin. I'm right, God's wrong. And it's what this world is saying, and that if you say otherwise, do you notice this? You say, if you say otherwise, you call something that God calls sin, sin, you're intolerant, you're a bigot, and now you're talking hate speech. This is the world we live in, loved ones. But here's the good news. Y'all ready for some good news? Good news to finish with? Right here. Look at this. Second reason to recognize your ongoing need for God through confession of sin, to be forgiven and cleansed from that sin. Look at verse 9. If, 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 everyone say if. If, a little louder, if. It's a big moment right here, church. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess there means to acknowledge our sin or say the same thing about it that God does. When we come before God genuinely and say, Lord, I've sinned against you, forgive me. He is always faithful to forgive or send away and release our sins and no longer hold that sin against us. He just doesn't forgive our sins. Notice he says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then what does he do with it? He takes it one step further. This is called doctrine of justification. He takes it one step further and he cleanses or purifies us from our unrighteousness through the blood of his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, he, being God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, the light of the world, in him alone, we might become the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God, the moral excellence of God. That's what walking in the light does. But notice the crucial word at the start of verse 9. What's the crucial word we repeated twice? Say law. If. That's where everything hinges. You see, the saving and cleansing power of Jesus Christ is given to those who willingly acknowledge, willingly acknowledge and confess their own sin before him, repent of it, and receive him as their Lord and Savior because the reality is God loves you and me too much to force himself on us. He will not force himself on you and me. He loves you. He's not a dictator. So the question is this, last question of today. Have you received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Have you? You can today. 
You don't need to clean yourself up. Come up and talk after. We want to pray with you about what that means. And believers, if you have received that, are you living your life in this truth of your ongoing daily need for God? Does your life display an ongoing dependency for the Lord through the confession of our sin? Are we being cleansed, recognizing his perfect nature, walking in holiness and his power, and recognizing your ongoing need through him through confession of your sin? What areas do you need to confess right now and get right with them to be cleansed? Don't wait. Let's walk in the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, it is a hard word. And Jesus said in John 6, so many of his disciples abandoned him and said, this is too hard of a word. Who can hear that? We're going to choose to walk away. But Father, your word is clear. Your word is love. And God, I pray right now, you would open every eye to see, ear to hear, and heart to respond to what you said to your church today. Start with me. Please start with me. Help us to be a church, men and women, in fellowship with you and with one another, who choose day by day to walk in the light through the power of Jesus Christ. We can't do this on our own. Thank you that you gave us a Savior. And it's grace. It's right there. We can't earn the gift. It's right there. We just need to ask. And so, Father, I pray we be refreshed in that today, convicted with that today, and God, help us to live for you, knowing that Jesus Christ, our only hope, Father, the hope of this world, promises to be with us every step of the way. See it happen. In Jesus' name.